Uh, let's start with uh, the SARS matter. Now, looking at what's happened there, um, and the allegation, of course, is that uh, the SARS commissioner, Tom Moyane, had this incriminating report against Jonas Makwakwa, sat on it for three months, and did not act until the question was asked in Parliament. So uh, now uh, the situation as it stands is that uh, people are saying that um, Commissioner Tom Moyane actually uh, holding a position of authority was obligated to report uh, any criminal conduct and he didn't. So what does that mean for him right now? Well, the the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act, Section 34, says that if you know about possible corruption or reasonably suspect there's corruption, um, so you don't have to actually have the proof, but if you suspect there's corruption, you have a a legal duty to report this to the police, and if you fail to do so, you are guilty of criminal offence. So there's now the question of whether he reported it to the police as he was required by the law. And if he didn't, he would obviously be guilty of this, um, of, of breaching Section 34, because um, if you're going to be a salaried person and get large amounts of cash into your bank account that is not explained, there would be a suspicion that some corruption is happening there. Now, is there any stipulation as to the time frames during which that must be reported? Yes, there's no provision on the time frames for that. So um, that would be an interesting legal question. If it were ever to go to a court, uh, when do you have to report it? Is it one day, one week, a month, a year, 10 years, or whatever the case might be? The courts, as far as I can establish, have not yet uh, determined this. So uh, the fact that uh, Mr. Moyana had this report in his possession for three months, a report uh, that clearly uh, recommended that uh, some legal uh, criminal investigation rather be instituted, uh, you know, what sort of argument could he put forward for having not done so for three months? Well, one of the arguments he's put forward is that this, is, uh, and the walks have said the same thing, is this is an internal matter, which that would not be a very good argument because it's not an internal matter, it's a, it's a criminal matter. But he could say that he was still busy um, uh, deciding on what to do or to follow up to establish whether there really is a suspicion. Maybe um, his second-in-command has a cash business somewhere and... Uh, got all this money because he was also running a taxi business or something on the side, um, that would be a more credible option for him to use if he's ever going to be charged. Uh, that might uh, get him off the hook, but it, of course, will depend on the, the facts of the case. It's difficult to comment because one doesn't know exactly whether all the facts are actually in the public domain. And um, because it, it does make for, you know, some interesting um, uh, situations here, because if the law states that even suspicion uh, would have then compelled him to actually act on this particular matter, then, you know, uh, you, how much more of an investigation would you need to conduct? Yes, well, uh, you know, that that is true, because uh, as I said, if you are a salaried person and you get more than one million rand of cash, deposit into your bank account and it's not explained, then there's going to be a suspicion for any reasonable person. I think that there might be some corruption happening there. Um, but this would be, I'm, I'm giving the, the, the commissioner the, the benefit of the doubt and trying to think what could 
possibly be the reasons for acting for not acting in this case while acting so swiftly in the case of the other SARS officials who were suspended uh, several only days after the Sunday Times reported about the so-called rogue spy unit. And and how does this then impact on the person and the credibility of Tom Moyani, um, just the way in which this Makwakwa issue has played out? Well, uh, once again, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to be very careful here, but there is, clearly there are some perceptions that is now arising, that there's the two cases, the one of the so-called rogue spy unit and this case, are being dealt with in, a, in very different ways. Uh, the first one was dealt with with alacrity. This one is uh, rather slow to uh, to be dealt with. And so that will raise questions about why wasn't uh, the swift, more swift action, more decisive action. And that's, that's not a good thing for SARS because, uh, you know, we all give our money to SARS through VAT and through our taxes, other taxes. And so we want to trust that institution, not only in fact, but we also want to perceive that institution to be completely beyond reproach. So it's not a good thing if somebody uh, high up on SARS and even the head of SARS is acting in a certain way that might make some people suspicious. And then uh, just moving on to the NPA uh, situation and what happened there. Um, so now that uh, Nongo Wojiba and Lawrence Mkhoebi have been struck of the advocate's role, uh, meaning that they are no longer fit and proper, but what does that actually mean if we break it down into layman's terms? <coughs> and uh, where does it leave the NPA? Well, it means that both of them, as the court judgment stands, and if it's not going to be overturned on appeal, cannot fulfill their task. They are not qualified to be in their positions because it's a minimum requirement of the job to be fit and proper for both of the jobs that they are actually um, fulfilling at the National Prosecuting Authority. This means that uh, it's a bit of a complicated situation because the, the uh, advocate Jiba cannot just be suspended by the president. Uh, there has to be a process started to investigate and to confirm that she is indeed not fit and proper, which the president must launch. And only once that investigation or inquiry is launched can he suspend her. Um, and then, of course, uh, if the court judgment stands, then they, the outcome is a foregone conclusion. She won't be persecuted proper, and Parliament will then have to remove her from office. The question is, what happens in the meantime if she's now going to appeal? Both of them are probably going to appeal the case. And what happens in the meantime? Should they voluntarily step aside, perhaps, for the interest of the NPA? Because the problem now is going to be, if they make any decisions from now on, these might be challenged uh, by uh, criminals who are going to say, well, you made this decision to prosecute me, but you are not actually validly in your position, and for that reason the whole decision must be set aside. So it creates difficult legal questions for the NPA to answer. If you were advising Sean Abrams, how would you uh, actually counsel him to move forward on this issue? Well, I would tell him, uh, I, I will never be advising him, but if, I would tell him that maybe it's time to have a, a very uh, collegial chat with his two colleagues and to ask him 
in the interest of the organization and to protect the integrity of the organization to go on voluntary leave for until such time as all the legal processes have been completed. And, you know, if the, high, uh, if the Supreme Court of Appeal or Constitutional Court overturns this decision, then they can come back to work. If not, obviously, they will be, uh, the process will start to have them formally removed from their position or they resign. Professor Pierre de Foss, thank you so much for your time this morning, a constitutional law expert.